Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. So this morning we're finishing up a series called I Love Sundays. And this morning we're going to consider how Sundays have changed the world. And it's really Christ who's changed the world. And it's believers who've really been a tool. You guys understand that we get to be co-laborers with Jesus Christ. He's the one who established the church. We are the church. He has set the church forth with a mission. And we are to go into all the world to preach the gospel, the good news. And isn't it good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We get to go tell people about Jesus. And there's nothing better. I had a busy, rough week for the most part. And I'll tell you, the highlight all came within about an hour and a half Two different people. One, a young man, broken before God for the first time in his life. Heard about Jesus for the first time in his life and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As a believer, there's nothing better than seeing that happen. Someone finally surrender when they hear the truth. And uh, just a couple later, hours later, a young gal I got to talk to, coming out of an abusive situation, protecting her kids, moving hours away from where she had established a home, family, friends, just for the protection of her family, broken, also responding to the love of Jesus Christ. Um, God's good. God is good. So Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what we get to do. God, here's your kids. Father, being a part of this great mission of yours, you came, you accomplished, there is victory. And out of that victory, we get to live, we get to serve, and we get to go share that hope with a dying world, a world in need. We thank you for Sundays, we thank you for the opportunity to Sabbath, to rest, to refocus, to refuel, to worship you. I love being able to do that with these brothers and sisters every week. God, and once again, as we have opportunity to look to you through your word, we just pray that you speak to us. I'm asking your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take a look here. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So over the last month, We've been considering together Sabbath. We are called to remember it, to observe it, okay? And this morning, I want to talk about that a little bit because for me personally, I've had it very backwards for a long time. And over the last few weeks, I've been really preaching to myself a lot because I believed if I worked hard, then I get to rest. Isn't that what it's all about? We work hard to rest. It's just the way we are as a people in our understanding. Even if we step back and we examine everything in life, don't we work hard so we can retire well one day? Rest well. I don't see retirement in the Bible, by the way, guys. And as believers, I don't think we ever get to retire. But we get to Sabbath once a week in our Lord. And ultimately, we get to rest in what Christ has done 
every moment of every day. So in that backwards thinking of ours, we need to come to realize that we get to rest when? Whenever we choose to. Because Jesus said, when you are burdened, when you're heavy laden, we're to do what? Go to him and he will give us rest. It's there for our taking. Yeah, the principle of keeping a Sabbath one day a week, that's good. We've considered how healthy that is. It gives us that chance to refuel, to refocus, okay? Just to be still <laughs> and worship God, to be with family. Those are good things. I'm hoping you guys have been provoked in doing that. But as you step back and you look at the big picture, guys, we're here for a purpose, and if we think we work hard and then we'll be rewarded for it one day in this life, we're missing it. Because I do believe that rest that God has is always for us. And it's out of that rest that we go and work. We don't work for the rest. We work out of the rest. Does that make sense? Yes. My backward thinking, well, if I work hard, if I labor hard. If I'm sowing, I'm going to reap a harvest one day. Something God's been teaching me lately is that harvest might not come until the next life when I'm with Jesus. Maybe this whole life is a life of sowing and hard work. There's a lot of things I expected at this point in my life to have happened. Well, hey, if I serve hard, if I prepare teachings well, if I keep pouring into people and keep discipling, hey, there's going to be a foundation, a healthy one. The church is going to grow. And as the church grows, then I can step back and rest a little bit. That's been in my head for a long time. And the reality is, it's not working out the way I thought. And what the Lord's teaching me, hey, I've called you to this ministry of reconciliation. And you guys might be like, it's good for you, pastor. But what about me? Hey, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to the ministry of reconciliation too. Amen. That's why we're here. We all have that same calling. And as we serve and we continue to sow and we go forth and we preach the gospel to all people, that's what we do. And in it, guys, we don't get a break. Our break comes when? when Jesus comes to get us or we go home to be with him. Because there's one thing that you're not going to be able to do in heaven that you get to do now. Because it's going to be a little bit silly when I look at one of you one day when we get there and I say, hey, we're in heaven by the way. Now, isn't it cool? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know he died on the cross for you? That'd be silly, right? <laughs> there's no preaching once we get there. That's what we get to do now, and that's what we are called to do now. And we might not see the harvest of it. We might not see the harvest of it. I've prayed with many of you through the years for God to move on people's hearts, for people to come to Jesus. I prayed for some of your children with you, some of your parents with you. Some of you have prayed with me for my brothers, you've prayed with me about ministry opportunities to do so. 
we have opportunity, guys. And we keep on until we go home. But the one thing I want you guys to remember is we consider the work that God has set before us. Even God rested. And we need to rest. Because in that time that's needed, we're going to be in a place to better serve. So take the Sabbath serious. Take Jesus' words here serious. Hey, the Sabbath thing, he's not saying this is a legalistic thing. Jesus was pretty radical when it came to the law. He came to fulfill it. He did it perfectly. But God himself is telling us, hey, the Sabbath thing, it's for you. It's a gift. And like all gifts, they need to be received. Correct? Correct. Now, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 together. Jump down to verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 11, just for some context here. Now, you guys know the Sabbath was given to the Jewish people, and they, they observed the Sabbath on what day of the week? Saturday. On Saturday, right? Friday evening until Saturday evening. That's their Sabbath. Now, <clears throat> that's the seventh day. We Christians, we're Sunday people, aren't we? There's a reason why we're Sunday people. And I want to talk about that just for a moment. But before we get into that, is the Sabbath commanded in the New Testament? I want to consider that with you guys. Because as I study the scriptures, the New Testament, it's not a command. Out of the ten, big ten, uh, the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that we can't find in the New Testament. I want to read with you guys uh, something that Paul lays out to the church in Colossae. There have been <clears throat> some legalism going on, and he lays things out. Do we have any Jewish people here this morning? No, oh, maybe watching on TV. Hi. <laughs> so, um, we're Gentiles. So he's writing this to Gentiles. And he says here, let no one cheat you. In verse 8, or what verse did I tell you? 11. Uh, Yeah, context. That's good. In him, it says, You were also circumcised, verse 11, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So he's talking about a heart change. We who come to faith in Christ, it's not an outward sign. It's not doing all these things that God cares about. It's a heart thing. Our hearts have been circumcised. That's what he's looking at. And hasn't God promised to give us a new heart? I'll take that heart of stone that you have. I'm going to give you a new heart. This is the new covenant that he's speaking into. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. We've been brought into relationship with God. So now verse 13 says, And you, being dead from your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Because of what he did on the cross, we can now come into relationship with him. 
And he tells us in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting and the requirements that are against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that a cool verse? All those requirements, all the law, nailed to the cross. He fulfilled it. We can do nothing any longer. There are those who would say to you and to I, because we worship on Sunday and not Saturday, we are practicing lawlessness. And because we are practicing lawlessness, as Matthew 7 says, we're going to go to hell. I had a neighbor that we loved. She moved to California recently. She told Sonny and I, we're going to hell. We did Bible studies with her in her home for a while. And then one day, because she goes to a certain church that teaches you have to go to church on Saturday, because we don't do that on Saturday, we're going to hell. And I told her, can you show me where it teaches us as Christians that we have to go to church on Saturday? Well, she didn't rightly divide the word. She was living under the law, living in the Old Testament was unable to appropriate what the scriptures teach concerning what Christ did, how he fulfilled, how he set us free from the law, did not understand God's grace. And that's something that she, through the relationship that Sonny and I had with her, begun with her, wanted to start growing in and understanding. Because as she would read the scriptures, things would come up like, oh boy, this grace thing. (laughs) I don't get it because I've been taught this my whole life. You see, what Christ took, did is he took all those things and nailed it to the cross. They were taken care of. We're set free. Because if we're under the law, guys, are we going to make it? None of us. We've all fallen short. We've all broken the law of God. We can't do it. And if you do want to live under the law and you do want to keep the Sabbath according to the Old Testament, then you've got to keep all the commandments concerning those things around the Sabbath, you know? And you look into that, there are a ton of them. And man, you would easily break them without even knowing it. So, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You guys see what Paul's trying to tell us here? Okay? So someone comes to you and wants to lay a trip on you. You gotta do it. Gotta do this. Otherwise you're in sin. (laughs) You need to be very careful. Because people will judge. And we come back to what does God say? Well, I see that Christ fulfilled. We're no longer under the law. I get to have a relationship with him. And out of that relationship, there may be things like the principle the Sabbath taught. Because let me tell you what, as we study the scriptures, did Christians just give up the Sabbath day? No, they took the words of Jesus serious. Hey, the Sabbath is for man. There's a principle here. It's been given as a gift. Okay? We might not observe it any longer on a Saturday, We're going to be Sunday people. And there's a reason why they were Sunday people. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. 
Do you guys know when, what day of the week Jesus rose from the dead? A Sunday. Easter Sunday. Aren't we celebrating the resurrection? Wow. Life on Sunday. So that's one of the reasons why Christians worship on Sundays. Did I say X? Okay, there was a reason. Acts chapter 2. Something radical happened. You guys know that Jesus, he died, was buried, rose again on the third day, right? And then he began to appear to people, to his disciples, to many others, hundreds actually, okay? Eyewitnesses account, hey, wait a minute, this man was crucified. <laughs> he was put to death. They put a spear in his side. He was dead. They buried him, and now he's alive. And what did he tell his disciples to do? Hey, I'm going to depart, but I want you guys. I want you to go. I want you to wait. And you're going to receive power from on high. And that happened here in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read this with you guys. Because um, <clears throat> we're going to see what took place that day of Pentecost. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. They were devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. And were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwelling in Macedonia, Judea and uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pilthimala and Egypt and <laughs> parts of Libya. Uh, joining Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. What were they speaking? The wonderful things of God. So God's Spirit's moving here. It tells us, verse 6, that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of wine. But Peter Standing up, or stand, or standing up with the eleven, he raised up his voice to them. What's the last thing we read about Peter doing before this? Didn't he deny Jesus three times? That's the last thing we heard of Peter. Now, the day of Pentecost on this Sunday, he's filled with the Spirit of the Living God. And what happens? Well, he's about to preach. And what did he preach? I love this sermon, guys. This is what he said. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's early. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall have dreams, and your maid, 
or manservants and my maidservants. And I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, and before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that great? So what happens? He continues to say, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be held by it. For David saying concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. And he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, and his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption? This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he said, or he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, how is that possible? Well, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and he exhorted them, saying, Be saved, from this perverse generation, then those who gladly received the word was baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So do you guys see what took place here on the day of Pentecost? God's spirit fell in a radical way. Peter, instead of denying the Lord, 
by this power of the Spirit, is proclaiming the gospel. This is super clear, isn't it? Proclaiming the gospel, and the church is birthed on a Sunday. The church is birthed. 3,000 people believed. Now, Sunday people have had a crazy impact upon the world, probably more so than any other people group ever. Think about everything that the church has done. There's 2.3 billion people that would call themselves Christians today. So the church is pretty big. <laughs> it has done a lot of good things in this world, but primarily their calls to what? To do good things? No, go preach the gospel. But good things happen when you go preach the gospel, don't they? The poor are taken care of. The captives are set free, right? Jesus is the great liberator. We see that. Something we try to do here at Freedom is Acts 2.42. Look. And what did this new church do? Okay? The church of Jesus here. Well, they continued steadfastly. They stuck with it in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Those four things we try to do here. Try to worship, we partake in communion, we get into the word of God, we pray. We try to keep it simple. Well, shouldn't a church have a lot more things than that? Sure, you can have more things. They did it, and they did some pretty radical things just sticking to those four things. You guys know the more we try to do things God's way, the easier it actually is. That's why we try to keep things simple. And we're always in a place of trying to come back to the basics. Because as things change, we go through seasons, cultures change, we still want to meet people with the gospel. But I believe you can do that in simplicity. And you can do that really through the teaching of God's word. I'm excited when we get into the book of Acts eventually. We're going to see over and over again, the word of God goes forth and God adds to his church. That's how it works. His word, the church grows we got to keep doing that, guys. And we're called to make disciples. And if you're not out teaching people the word of God, you're not doing what you're called to do. If you're working hard to provide a good life for your family, to give your kids what they didn't have, you're missing the point of this life, guys. We are here to be bearers of the good news, to teach others. Let's read just a few more verses, finish up this chapter here. And now all... Oh, sorry... Verse 43, they fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and they divided them among all, and anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house. Isn't that cool? They got together daily, encouraging each other. From house to house, come over to the Churchills, hang out guys. Uh, they ate their food, you can eat our food, and <laughs> with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see who's adding to the church? It's the Lord. He's the one adding, he's doing. And the believers were just being faithful. Hey, we're going to come together, we're going to serve one another, we're going to have all things in common. Okay? We want to learn the word. Apostles, will you please teach us? 
We want to learn what God had to say. We want to learn about Jesus. Teach us these things. And we'll go and we'll tell others. And I want you guys to think with me all the things that they did. You know, it's unreal when you consider what took place on Pentecost on that Sunday and what has taken place ever since then. And some of you guys might be like, well, that was Sunday. You know, did they continue to worship on Sundays? Yeah, that's a historical fact. The Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10, speaks about these Christians, they were Sunday people. And think about what these disciples did. These guys who worshipped God on Sunday took their Sabbath on Sunday. They were still Jews. I think they took two days. But they had their worship together on Sundays. And guess what? These 12 men, didn't they go to the known world at that time? They were missionaries. They went forth. And the known world knew of Jesus at that time. It's pretty radical what God did through them. Let's turn to Matthew 16 for a second. I think that will bring a little bit of clarity to this. Matthew chapter 16, let's look down to verse 13. We'll talk about the church being established and what Jesus had to say. Matthew 16, verse 13, And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Or that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of, those prophet, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? So he's asking his disciples, these guys who have been walking with him for years now, seeing the miracles, hearing him teach. Who do you say I am? I got to see last night, God's Not Dead too. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it. You know, but there was a gal in the, in the movie who came to faith because outside of a church, it's just had this statement, who do you say I am? You know, and I'm like, that's so cool. We should put a big sign up at our church. You know? <laughs> who do people say Jesus is? Because everybody has a take on Jesus. But does everybody say that he is my Lord and Savior? Very few people say that of Jesus. Well, Simon Peter answered verse 16 and said, Well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father from heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Wow. So Jesus declares here he's going to build his church upon what? Upon Pope Peter? No, he's not saying that at all. That's what Catholics teach from this passage. But again, if you read what's actually being said there, what does it say? It says very clearly it's upon the declaration of the gospel of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Christ, the Savior. It's upon that the message that he's going to build his church. And you understand 
that God will not give glory to another. He's the one to get all the glory. And it's upon the good news that the church has been built. It's not upon the gifting of a certain person or a certain denomination. (laughs) It's upon Jesus Christ. He's the reason why Sunday people have such an impact upon history. I mean, you look, even in our recent history, you know, Martin Luther King, think about all that he did. And why did he do all that he did? It's because he was a Christ follower, guys. Think about it in Abraham Lincoln. Why did he have the impact upon this nation the way he did and led our nation into the things that set black people free (laughs) to end slavery? Because he was a man who feared God. You know? Even Charlemagne, hey, we need to educate people. (laughs) Going all the way back. Hey, let's teach people how to read and how to write. Why? Because he was a believer who wanted other people to be able to read the Bible. It wasn't just so we could get educated and have good lives. No, that they could read the gospel message. And you look throughout history, man, the people that God used in radical things, the different ministries, hospitals, universities, Christians, God used normal men and women. (laughs) Normal men and women who loved him to do great things. And Jesus has promised to build his church. That's what I love. Because people come and go. Denominations come and go. But here 2,000 years later, what are we doing this morning? We're worshiping him. We're studying his word. We're getting stirred up to go do the same thing that's been going on with other brothers and sisters for centuries. It's because of him. It's all him. So he's going to build his church. And look what he did through the disciples. What time is it? Bummer. I have 24 pages of notes that I haven't gotten to them yet. <laughs> um, maybe we just won't get to them. Let's go to another passage in Matthew chapter 25. Do you guys know that we get to be the church? We don't come to church to play church. We get to be the church. We need to be living out the Great Commission. We need to be out making disciples. If you're not doing that, you need to repent. You need to start doing that. How does it happen? Well, it's just being the church. You know? Well, I'm not gifted in that. I can't teach. You teach what you know, guys. Let me tell you what, if you've been hanging out here, freedom for any time, we've been in the Word quite a bit. (laughs) We're we're learning stuff. You can take your notes, you can share with somebody else. Well, I'd like to just do it more natural. 
just in everyday life. Great, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> do it with your coworkers. Do it with your family. Well, they don't want to hear me. Good, come hang out at the pantry on Wednesdays. We need help, and you get to meet people. You start building relationships with people, and you get to talk to them. You know, I get some neat opportunities at the pantry to share gospels with people that I met for the first time, complete stranger. But I've seen the most fruit in ministry through relationships that have been built over time at the pantry. It's one of those things. It's just like, hey, I've gotten to know you, Landon. I know that you're a man that loves Jesus. I know that you're here not because of you. <laughs> I, I see that track record. I want to open up. I want to ask for prayer because I know that you're one of those Jesus people that love him a lot. And it's a great opportunity to share. You guys, we just get to do life. We get to be the church, not play the church. So let's take a look at what Jesus said here. Um, kingdom. There it is. Verse 14 talks about the kingdom. I love this passage. 25.14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And when he who had received the five talents, he went and he traded with them, and he made another five talents. Woohoo, way to go, right? Verse 17 tells us, and likewise, the one who had received two, he gained two more also. Good job, buddy. Verse 18, but the one who received one, he went and dug it in the ground, and he hid the Lord's money. Huh. At least he's not going to lose it, right? Well, let's read what happens. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he, who had received one talent, came to the Lord. Lord, I know that you're a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. I was afraid, and I went to, and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. And moreover, to everyone who has, more will be given and will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we take away from this parable? Well, Jesus is the one who's building his church. Believers, once we call on the name of the Lord, become a part of his church. And you guys know that God has given us all different giftings, talents. We all have different roles. Okay? We don't all have to look the same. We definitely don't need to all be doing the same thing. We just need to be faithful with what God's given to us. Whether it's a little or a lot, we just need to be faithful. What we're not to be is lazy. And that's one thing I see people doing. Okay? Well, isn't life all about me? <laughs> is it all about me being happy? Vacations, rest. Guys, we Sabbath for a purpose. We rest well so we can be about kingdom business well. And when we're in a good place, okay, we are going to be enjoying Jesus and there will be a natural outflow in our lives. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I don't know about you guys, when it's all said and done, I want to hear Jesus say, well done. Don't you guys want to hear the same thing from him? Well done, good and faithful servant. And the cool part is enter into my joy. Is there not fullness of joy in his presence? There is. And if you are being a lazy servant, repent. Repent. Start doing what you're called to do. Some of us feel like, well, I've put my time in. I've done my part. I get to rest now from that. No. Unless God's calling you to do something different. You guys understand? He's the one who's calling shots. Seasons might change, but we still need to be faithful. Okay? Things might look different. God's calling me into a season of change. And that's something I'm really seeking him on for wisdom. Okay? It's not meaning that, hey, I don't have to do as much. What it is saying is, hey, I'm asking you to do something different. Be faithful in that. But Lord, I still want to do these things because I can do those things. You guys even know things you can do aren't always the best? Okay, God knows what's best. And we just need to be faithful. So a big part of us being the church <laughs> and doing our thing, we need to be seeking him. And I believe a big part of that seeking is so tightly knit with Sabbath. How many of you guys would agree with me that God has created us to think, to ponder, to ponder? That's probably the best word to put it, to really be still and think. I love talking to farmers. How many of you guys have farmer friends? Are any of them Christians, these farmers? Okay. I know a Christian farmer. I love talking with the brother. He rides his tractor. He's out taking care of the cows at four in the morning. I don't know how he does it every day. <laughs> but he has downtime. I shouldn't say downtime. He's working his butt off. But he has time to ponder. Coming back to that ponder time. Okay? He's a simple farm boy. Grew up on the farm, still farming now. His family's probably going to be farmers. But man, he has a grasp about the reality of who God is and what God's up to. And when he has opportunity, he does share well. He lives out the gospel well. 
in so much of his understanding as he has that time to really think through things. Guys, I don't think we pause and think. Because even this morning, we've gone through a lot of passages. We're going to go through one more before we close. But there's a lot to chew on in the little bit of time we've gone through already. My tendency, and it may be yours too, as a Christian in this day and age, internet, podcasts, devotionals, quick this and that. Ah, I heard this. I need something more. I'm going to study this. No, I'm done with that. I got my devotion in for the day. Now I want to study this because I've been enjoying James McDonald lately on the radio. You know, I'm going to start listening to his podcasts. And after I'm done with that, I heard Francis Chan taught at a conference. And I want to listen to some Francis this week. I don't know if you guys have that same tendency. You never stop and pause with what you've already received. Take the time to really think through it, to ponder on those things, to pray those things in. God, how does that look? We've been talking about Sabbath at church. Is that something that I really need to take? I know it's good. Pastors made a pretty good case that this is needed and a healthy thing. But have we really taken the time to think through that? To apply that? Because let me tell you what, if you do take a day a week to have that downtime just to worship, to refuel, to ponder, which I think that refocus comes from, if you have that time to stop and think, you can reflect on the week. Oh boy, God, you put it in my heart to do these things, but my life just got crazy busy again, and I didn't do those things. How is this next week going to look? Because I have today to refocus, to meet with you, to get on page. I'm looking to you, Jesus, and I want to see where you're pointing, where you want me to be, what I'm supposed to be up to. If we don't take those times to be still... We're going to miss him in that way. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, take that opportunity to enter his rest. And on that thought, I want to end this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. If you turn there. Sorry, study notes. Hebrews 4 is better than you. You guys know Hebrews is phenomenal. It's all about considering Jesus. Okay, we're going to start in chapter 3, just for a little bit of context. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. It says, For who, having heard, rebelled. He's speaking about the Jewish people. They heard the word of God and they still rebelled against it. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who did not obey So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Why don't we enter into the rest of God? Why don't Christians Sabbath well? Well, it's unbelief. I got a lot of work to do. If I don't get it done today, it just, it's not going to happen. I'm going to fall behind. 
Didn't we look back a few weeks ago at God's economy? How he really does honor and bless that day out. We're more productive on Mondays, aren't we, if we really rest well on a Sunday? Yeah, God's ways are beyond ours. And then verse or chapter 4, check this out. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, so this promise is out there for rest in the Lord. He says, let us fear, okay? Let's any of us seem to come short of us, short of it. Verse 2, for indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, it didn't profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. So when you guys hear the word of God, are you mixing it with faith? Yeah, God, I can trust you. Yeah, your ways are better. Even though I think my ways are better, I'm going to have faith because I know your track record. And I know much how, how much wiser you are than I. We need to mix the word of God with faith. Verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. And he said, So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designated a certain day, saying, David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, and do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward spoken of another day. Therefore remains, or there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So you guys seeing what the author is putting before us here? Hey, there's a disobedience. You can rebel against the word. Or you can trust God. You can enter in by faith into this rest. It's there. And we need it, guys. We desperately need it. And he goes on to tell us, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Okay? What does that mean to be diligent? We need to be purposeful in it. We got to pursue it. Be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And I love in the context of here, we read now, for the word of God, verse 12, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner in the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Should study of the word of God be part of our Sabbath? Absolutely. And you guys hear it from us all the time. It needs to be a part of our every day. <laughs> we need to be in the Word. Why? Because it's powerful. It gets deep down. It helps us discern what's really going on. Because we can get so caught up in our own stuff, in our own thinking that's really messed up, <laughs> that we don't even know we're messed up. We think everything's okay. We get into the Word of God. Wait a minute. This is what's right. This is good. This rest thing that's being talked about here, 
It tells us I need to be in the Word. It's going to discern some things. Where is rebellion in my heart? Where is disobedience taking place in my life? I'm guilty of both. I'll be honest with you guys. That's a regular struggle in my life. And I think it is for all Christians who are yielding to the Spirit of God because God is faithful to complete a work in us until the day of Christ. He is sanctifying us. We are continually growing. And that happens through what? Trust, obedience. And God's always going to reveal parts of our lives that need to change, that we can grow in. And there are things that we do well, guys, that God has changed. But in the things, at least for me, that I feel like I'm doing well in, that I've grown in, there's still a lot of growing in those areas I still want to do. Amen? So look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all ways and points we're tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is tempted, or was tempted, you know, but he never gave in to sin. He understands. If he understands, hmm, who should we talk to maybe? Who's had some victory in that area <laughs> probably jesus right hey you understand what i'm going through but you made it through you know how to do that and what does it tell us in verse 16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need so let's pray father we are a needy people. We need more of you, Jesus. We need to trust you more. I don't, know, I don't know why we struggle with that. I know we do. You've been so good and kind and faithful. I don't know how we cannot. I know there's a deceitfulness and a wickedness in us, Lord. We so off track and self-centered. We ask that you'd forgive us. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to be diligent in seeking you and studying your word, allowing it to really discern things that we are missing, that we don't see clearly, that you bring clarity to our lives. God, there's so much that you're up to and doing. Each and every one of our lives are unique, and you have purpose in every one of them. That purpose is really for your glory, to make you known. I pray that you'd help us to do that well. God, and we believe that out of resting in you, that we're going to be able to serve well we won't be like that lazy and wicked servant. God, in that day, would you, Father, have established each and every one of us that we all get to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your joy. 
We look forward to that. And we believe, Lord, that entering into your rest, even today, here and now, in this life, there's still fullness of joy. Your spirit, your presence, it refreshes the soul. And we need that time to be still, just to look to you. Help us to do that well for your glory, Father. Amen? Amen.